Welcome to episode 55 of the Daniel Yours podcast with today's guest, Mike Doherty of Wild Meadows Farm. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Mike Doherty of Wild Meadows Farms. It's a pleasure to finally speak with you. How's it going, Mike? Uh, good, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It's it's awesome to speak to you're the first person who who is a farmer, who is a food producer. And, you know, on this podcast, we speak about food and in context of health and stuff so often. So it's finally uh, great to speak to someone who's actually producing the things that we that we consume and what we always talk about as real food. Yeah, and I, I think this is an important conversation that should be happening. Like the farmer who's producing the food should understand what, what people are looking for, really. So uh, right. it's, a, it's a complicated topic, but very interesting. Right. And, and we're going to get into a lot of things. I think one of the biggest part is just understanding where our food comes from and what goes into producing real food. There's a lot of, you know, garbage food out there, as we know. Uh, there's less real food out there, but the real food is kind of more of more of what we need. So we're going to get into get into all that good stuff. Great. Go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about Wild Meadows Farm and what it is, what you guys do, and then we'll, we'll kind of play off of that. Sure. So Wild Meadows Farm is basically myself, my younger brother, and my mom. Um, we started it up about four years ago. Uh, just kind of my brother and I just through discussion wanted to see if we could do something different. We weren't really that satisfied in our, our direction in life. Not that it was bad. It just we thought there could be something better. Um, we've had my mom. Uh, my mom has owned this farm for, well, probably about 40 years. We've, it was more like a hobby for my mom and dad. They had cattle, but they both had uh, off-farm jobs. And so it was an opportunity for us to just try something. So I think it was 2018, uh, we got like five pigs just to try. We sold them to friends and family. Um, my mom had a, a small beef herd at the time, and we transferred that over to uh, grass-fed and finished, and we've been building that up since. Uh, so that first year, I think we sold maybe half a beef, five pigs, very simple, uh, and since then, we've been we've been growing uh, pretty significantly. So now we 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 sell grass fed and finished beef, pastured chicken, pastured pork. We also sell a lot of other local products from other local producers, so bison, elk, cheese, honey, different things like that. Um, and yeah, the business has really taken off. Like it was growing quite a bit um, up until 2020, and then that kind of just. Uh, vaulted us into basically from a, a hobby into a real business. Uh, and we've been growing pretty steady since. Right. Yeah. I'm happy to hear, you know, one of the few uh, types of businesses that has actually improved through the pandemic and rightfully so, right. This is something that, you know, we obviously need more of more local uh, farming and more local products of any kind uh, is of course useful with, with difficulties crossing borders and access to, to materials and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's awesome. No, it's, it's a wonderful story and, and awesome that it's, um, it's within the family business. What did, what did you and your brother do before you kind of went full-time on the farm? So my brother was just in construction doing various things. I was more professional, uh, worked in waste management, something that I wasn't really passionate about as I started to figure things out a little more and more, I became more disenfranchised with it. Uh, and so, yeah, I really wanted to find something different, put my skills to use doing something good. Um, yeah. Right. And, and getting, getting out of the rat race, as they say, which is generally a good thing. Exactly. So yeah, I was traveling all over the place, which was really interesting for a while. And then it just got very old. Uh, I wanted to start a family, stuff like that. So made that change. And just thankfully, it's all seemed to work. 
Right. No, it's awesome. And I'm, and I'm happy to hear that. I, I'm often critical of like, you know, the typical professional corporate job. It's like, I, I can't relate to it because I have no idea what that's like and, and how, and it seems very foreign to me that, you know, a little kid grows up, wants to do that. That's not something that we want to do, but you know, we want to make things, help people do stuff with our hands. And, you know, so being a farmer, like that makes a whole lot more sense than, than being a, a corporate desk jockey to me anyways. Totally. And like this whole experience is kind of opened my eyes and taught me a lot. Like it's not an easy thing to, to make that change. Right. It's nice to want to, but to actually do it, like it's, it's not easy. And I think what's the saying, it's hard to convince a man of something if their job depends on it. Mm. Uh, and so like, if your job depends on something, you're going to kind of go along with it, even subconsciously, uh, unless you have other options, options are key. Right. Yeah. That's, that's an important distinction. Obviously, you know, when you first started the farm, I, I can only imagine weren't making as much money as you were in your corporate job, but you know, as things change and things grow, all those things equal out o- over time. Right. Exactly. So what I want to ask you about is what are, what makes wild meadows farm different than, you know, our typical factory farming kind of stuff that we, that we often hear about. I know that you guys use a process uh, known as regenerative farming, and I know a little bit about that, but can you explain what that means and how it's different? Uh, well, it's very different. And I, and I don't want to give the sense that, that farmers in the industrial system are doing anything wrong. I don't think, well, I think the systems could be better. They're just part of the system like anybody else. Like they're Fair. just doing what they have to do. Like if you want to farm, like you, that's more or less what you want to do or need to do, um, which is one of the reasons why we did what we did and why we're doing the direct marketing thing. Like in order to operate a farm that's 100 acres, my mom is my mom's farm where we operate off of is 89 acres. In order to make that work financially, you need to go direct to the consumer. Uh, like industrial farms, you need to be five, 500,000, 2,000 or larger to make it work. And that is only, that is only the, like those farmers at that scale are relatively small and over time they're going to be squeezed out. So it's just, it's a, it's a, race to the bottom kind of thing in industrial agriculture and their their mindset is quantity not quality um and that's just what they they sell on so um our model is based on quality over quantity and i think quantity can be achieved over time um but it's that's a long road um but yeah so our our, the basis of our operation is regenerative so we do grass-fed and finished beef i think that's the the focus of the operation. Um, so that just basically means a cow is not getting grain. They're eating grass, something more suited to their natural, uh, natural systems that they should be eating. Uh, that's what they eat throughout their whole life. Um, and we ro- rotate them once a day. <clears throat> and we've seen a huge difference on our farm doing that. Uh, there's the, the, the difference in the quality of the grass, the quantity of the grass, uh, it's, it's been significant. And if you listen to other regenerative farmers, they, they'll say the same thing. Like by rotating the animals, you're mimicking what, na- what nature is more, uh, more wants to do or what it is. Right. Uh, and so you're, you're, you're benefiting the ground, you're benefiting the soil and you're benefiting the animal. Right. Uh, and you're also benefiting the human that's in the end eating that, that meat. Um, and so, yeah, it's all based on movement. So the pastured chickens, same thing. We move them to new grass once a day. Uh, the pigs, we move them depending on several factors every five to seven days to new pasture. Um, and yeah, I think the well, pigs and chickens are two of the biggest difference between like industrial agriculture to 
to regenerative. Like if you look at a, a chicken barn or a, a pig barn, uh, if you really want to see something scary, look at China and how they raise pigs and then look into what where our pork comes from. But <clears throat> to be around a, a pasture-raised pig outside and how happy it is and how uh, it's able to like root, root in the dirt or just, just be pigs, it's, uh it's it's awesome or yeah it's it's enjoyable to do it's an, it's an enjoyable process to to see happen right yeah I'm, I'm so happy you said that that was one thing that i definitely wanted to ask you about was whether you had any experience with like you know non-grass-fed and, and, and naturally raised animals and like what are the the personality differences in the animals how does their mood change how does their just like their mannerisms change obviously like we can't speak to them and get a get a get an opinion out of them but like i'm sure as someone who spends a lot of time around the animals you would notice differences between between them uh based on the way they're raised yeah i haven't spent a lot of time in like uh big pig barns or big chicken barns i have been in them like my parents raised pigs uh like when i was a kid um this is a small scale but it was it was just in a barn and whatever um but yeah like a pig our motto is let the pig like it it has a snow for a reason it's, it's meant to root in the dirt and and all that stuff if it's on concrete it can't do that right um i even like i saw a study the other day about how vitamin d concentrations in pastured pork versus conventional pork and there's a significant difference like it it kind of makes logical sense if you really think about it like um pigs outside it's going to have more natural vitamin d pigs inside you need to feed them antibiotics all that stuff to keep them from not getting sick uh whereas our our animals we're not giving them anything and they're healthy they're they're happy and they're healthy right and so so the regenerative part refers more to the land than the animals correct whereas like a traditional or or let's say factory farm whatever the the correct term is what, what is the correct term Oh, I think regenerative agriculture. Sorry, is the correct term commercial? Sure. Yeah, commercial commodity, um, that sort of thing. Like basically operating at huge scale, producing just a a commodity versus producing something that is quality. Like I don't know. Right. You could plan it any which way you want, but yeah, right. commodity, commercial, whatever. Fair. Well, you know, in, in this day and age, we're always particular about definitions and names of things so we can't be <laughs> it can never be too careful but um so 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 in that cell of farming the, the animals would eat out of out of a trough or of, of a feeding tray indoors of some kind most likely whereas uh the, the cows uh, your beef is roaming and eating the grass that's just around uh in in your fields and so you're changing where they're feeding each day type of thing and that's where the regenerative comes in again more in reference to the land than to the animal specifically uh, well, I think you could define it that way. I think regenerative agriculture, there's many different definitions. You talk to different people, they'll have different versions of it. Um, but yeah, I think the basis of regenerative agriculture is based on the land. So healing the land, improving the land, rather than sustainable agriculture, it's regenerative. You're building it up, uh, making it better, rather right. than keeping it the same. Um, but I think regenerative agriculture is, a, like, it's certainly about that, but it's about a lot more than that like it's regenerating or it has a potential anyway to regenerate uh human health right like mm. if you're giving people good food uh, growing on a regenerative farm that's better uh, i think it has potential to regenerate local economies so if you have a bunch of small farms feeding feeding those local communities that money is staying in that in that area and those farmers and those people are spending money locally or more likely to and that just has a bit of a snowball effect um 
I think from a societal standpoint, it, it benefits society, it benefits local economies, it benefits people like me who can make a living farming, for example. Um, so uh, it benefits the animal. And, and yes, we're, we're at the end of the day, we are eating that animal, but that animal is going to have uh, the best life it, it possibly can in the scenario where it is. Um, so, yeah. You yeah, know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really thought of it from that more, uh, you know, hol- holistic perspective where it's like, yeah, the regeneration also, also translates to us humans as well. Like where we're eating more real food into the, to the community at large, where it's supporting everyone, which is something I think that you guys do very well is that you have this kind of what seems like a network of local farmers who, who produce cheese and, and eggs and other, and other products um, that, you know, you collectively sell, I guess, and, you know, not sure what the relationships are there exactly. But of course, like you can't do everything at once. You can't grow, you know, the cows and the, and the elk and the beef and the, and, or, and the, the pork and the chicken and the, and everything, right. You can't do everything. So, uh, but yeah. collectively we can do a lot of things. Totally. And like, so our, like, we didn't really know exactly how this was going to go when we started, but our business model has, but my brother more or less focuses on the farm. I do some farming and whatever, but I'm more focused on the, on the business side, the distribution side. Uh, and I think that is something that allowed us to grow um, because like it is what it is. Like a lot of farmers want to just grow, grow what they grow, do a good job. And people come to them to, to get their food, which works like it's, but there's only a certain level of consumer that is going to go to their way to do that. Right. By us developing a, like developing uh, our farm, developing those relationships with other farms, developing the distribution system, delivering to people's door makes it much, much easier for people to, to make that decision to buy. Uh, and if we can help promote other farmers, help them, then that's good. And the more people that support us or support other regenerative farms, the more regenerative farms there will be. And that just, like I said, it has a snowball effect that can be positive in many different directions. Right. Yeah, absolutely. An unfortunate part of anything in the world is that it's, you know, money does matter and, and it does, you know, it matters a lot. You can't just, you can't just run that farm and, and do all these things for free. That would be great if the world worked that way, but, but it doesn't. So like, there's gotta be some money involved in flowing to keep things, uh, keep things afloat and keep things growing as well. Now, one thing you did mention there with you know, additional, uh, additional regenerative farms in other areas is, is this method of farming, like, is it possible to feed everyone by using these style of farms? I, I'm biased, but I mm-hmm. think so. I think it's a, it's a very interesting discussion and a lot of people have chimed in saying, no, you can't. Others have said, yes, you can. It's something that I really want to delve into and understand. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think you can, like our farm is way more productive than it was four years ago. Our farm four years from now will be way more productive. You can, you can stack different things on the same land. So we have cows that takes up the majority of land, but we, we have chickens that pasture on the same land. Uh, they're not at the same time, but different uh, pigs, for example, we have, we have places where we raise our pigs in the fall, our cows are there. Um, my fiance and I bought a farm this past spring and we're gonna have a, uh, a market gardener Put his put his market gardener operation on our farm so there's multiple things you can do on that same land base um and i think 
even if even if you couldn't feed the whole world doing it this way, I think the way we're doing that is not an argument to continue with what we're doing. I think we need to, like not what we're doing, but what the world agricultural systems are doing. Mm -hmm. I think we need to look at it critically uh, with with a mind towards quality, while also maintaining that you do have to feed people. Um, so, like it's one thing to rally against industrial agriculture, but right now we need them. Like we need we need that to feed people. We, but we also need to look at it critically, uh, which is, I don't think it's happening enough to, to make real change. Right. Yeah. I guess there's not, there's not enough consumer demand, so to speak, um, that, that we can do without industrial farming. People are not educated enough or, or maybe willing to maybe spend a little bit more money or, or seek out, uh, things that are not just like readily available in tin cans on the grocery store shelf. Uh, so, so, so it's going to take some time, but like with that increasing education and demand, uh, I'm sure more, more farms will pop up to, to supply that demand as, totally. po as much as possible. And with, with increased demand, like we will grow with increased demand, other farms will grow with that. Uh, there's more competition. Um, now no one wants to be part of a race to a bottom, <clears throat> but with more competition will become, will come other ideas, other efficiencies, other things like that. So I think as long as people support what farms like us are doing, um, the results will be better. And uh, I don't think like we can't produce food as cheap as what the commodity system does. Uh, I, that should probably make you think about what mm -hmm. quality of that food, but uh, yeah, we can't, we can't. Um, so just the mindset of the consumer, I think it's, it might sound arrogant or it might sound elitist, but I think the mindset does need to change somewhat and through education or through, uh through that but then also think about if people are eating better food is their health going to be better how does that affect our healthcare costs like on a macro level like it's it's not a simple question yeah yeah i'm totally with you on that like yes the the, the cost of one pound of beef uh from from your farm might be slightly more expensive than one pound of beef that's like an all all, all factory whatever but you're being healthier. So you're, you know, less visits to the doctor over time and less. So like the overall cost, I'm sure there's some accounting term and I don't know what it is, but the overall cost of it yeah. is I, I would imagine it's less. And, and I don't think there's a way to really know that. Um, but you know, it's always, I, I often find that people think being healthy is very expensive and they fail to recognize that being sick is more expensive. And mm -hmm. even though, you know, we in Canada, we have universal healthcare and whatever, just because you're just because you're going to the doctor and you're not you know taking out your wallet to pay, it doesn't make it free. You can't work. There's still like drugs you have to buy and like and all these things. And so taking care of our health now is going to save us a lot more down the road. I believe, anyways. No, I, I agree. And then like if you look at it from like what is the cost to society, what is the cost to the environment, all those mm -hmm. things. If you look at it and think about what you're supporting by buying that beef that is from anywhere, you don't know, <laughs> right. or supporting someone like us. It, it really makes a difference, I, I believe. Absolutely. So what are, what are some of the challenges in growing it or scaling the farm? Because I would imagine that it would be near impossible for, for you to operate a farm that's 10 times the size of what your farm is now. Would it would it be possible with like t like ten times the amount of people and, and people working for you, or is it just not a thing that's possible? And the the answer is more like just more farms spread out in more areas. I think the answer is both. Um, I think there needs to be more farms in more areas for sure, and supporting the local local food systems as much as possible. 
Um, we couldn't grow 10 times next year, but I think in 10 years we probably could. Like it takes, it takes time and it takes capital. And right. like we've made a decision, we've had investors approach us. We've made a decision. We don't want to do that. We want to grow um, like as much as we can ourselves and not, not take that sort of thing on. Um, but there are, there is opportunities for other farms that maybe do want to take on an investor. Like I think the local food thing is becoming more and more real. And I think with that, there's all kinds of opportunities. Right. Okay. I think, I think what I, what I meant to ask and, and I didn't phrase it correctly was assuming, assuming you had all of the necessary capital capital and, and resources available to you, would you be able to operate your farm in the, in the same way that you do with the same level of quality if it were 10 times as large? Yes, for sure. It would just take, it would take more people, uh, probably take better systems. That's something we're trying to work on is like catch up, sure. like catch up with systems, but it's totally possible. Um, but the, the one danger that exists here as regenerative agriculture becomes more popular, as grass-fed beef becomes more popular, uh, there is a premium for the products. And so, and there's no regulatory system kind of monitoring it. Uh, and so people maybe not being completely honest with what mm. they're producing. And that, that happens now. Like there's lots of, you hear stories all the time about farmers calling something grass-fed beef when it's fed grass for the last two weeks. Like it's right. not, there's some farmers, well, it's going to happen anywhere. Like it's not farmers are bad, but there's a small percentage of people that will take advantage of that. Um, of so I think the solution is people get used or get to know their farmer and go see them and, and yeah. But. Yeah, I think that that likely solves a lot of problems. You know, we've heard so often about you know, organic foods being labeled as organic when they're not really organic. They just cross some threshold to be qualified organic, but they're not. And, and same with, you know, grass fed uh, beef or, or pasture raised something. And it's like, mm, well, we don't really know. But if you can go to the farm and see what they're doing, then then, you know, you can see that with your own eyes. You don't have to trust some sticker that they slap on a on a plastic label at the grocery store. Right. Totally. And if you talk to farmers, conventional and organic, like the grains, like there's some, it, it, there's too much room for error or whether it's intentional or not, like it's, yeah. It's, right. But, and I'm not, I'm not trying to advocate for any kind of uh, uh, regulation or anything like that. I don't think that's the answer. I think people getting to know the person, the people that grow their food is ultimately the answer. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think that that's fair. I mean, we already have some type of regulation for these things and it has its flaws. It will never be perfect. And it's not a, not a knock on that either. It's just, it's, it, it is susceptible to the things that it's susceptible to, but you know, knowing the farmer and going to the, see the farm with your own eyes again, like you can't, you can't deny that. Right. So I think that's, that's awesome. What are some of the, the more maybe unknown additional expenses you incur to farm animals the way that you do? in comparison to the, to the, the other way, the commercial way? Uh, well, the one for beef specifically, it's time. So uh, a grass fed and finished animal takes longer to finish quote unquote, uh, for it to be ready for slaughter than a conventional animal. So like we finish ours at roughly 28 months, give or take a conventional animals are going to be about 18 months. So it just, it's, it's in, so it just takes more time, which adds cost. Um, it's more man hours. So like we're, we're rotating them daily. It's a, it's a very labor intensive thing to do. Whereas a conventional barn could have 200, 300,000 animals that they're feeding. Uh, yeah, very, very quickly. Uh, 
Also, grains are extremely cheap the way we grow them. Again, we can grow them, we can grow a huge quantity um, and like high calorie output um, very efficiently. Um, so as a result, it doesn't cost that much to, to feed a cow or feed a pig uh, those, those commodity grains. Right. So, so the biggest thing is, is the time and the extra effort that goes in, which, which involves like, you know, paying humans, like from a, fi- from a financial side of thing to, to, to get the work done. That, that's what, well, yes. And, and scale, like we, we can't, right. well, maybe there are some farms more in the U S than, than in Canada that are producing grass fed beef at more of a scale. Um, things like feed for pigs and chickens. We feed a non GMO feed we get from a local grain, uh, local farm uh that costs a lot more than a conventional feed um yeah but i I think scale is one of the biggest biggest things scale and labor right makes sense on the note of of the gmo feed and stuff do you know a lot of the you know the inner workings of how that actually impacts the, the the nutrition profile of the of the animals I probably like it is it is something that's interesting, something I want to learn more about. Um, but simply um like they're not getting sprayed with all the chemicals, glyphosate and whatever. And I you can probably tell me more than I can about the, the dangers of glyphosate and, and whatever. Uh, but it seems to me if it's a dangerous danger to us as humans, it's it's not good for the animal as well. So I think that's the for me, that's the biggest thing. The non-GMO I, I I don't understand the technology of it to really make a comment on it, but I think the the crux of the matter is the chemicals that are used in the GMO crops versus the non-GMO. Right, fair. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't mean to to put you on the spot there to, to have a science lesson, um, but I, but I I know a little bit of it as well, and it's just it, again it's just not natural. So it's like if it's not healthy for us, if glyphosate has been you know labeled as this thing that's carcinogenic and and unhealthy for us, like why are we giving it to animals that that we then eat and it just like logically, I don't think we need a, you know, a PhD in science to really figure out that this isn't probably the best thing for us. Maybe, you know, there are implications where it does matter in in countries that have little access to food. Like, is that food better than starving? Yes. But you know, that in in North America, that's not really the case. So we can probably do better than that. And it's probably not necessary to do. And and again, I'm not one to ever think like, yes, you know, save your money and, and be frugal and all that stuff. But not not in your food and not in your health. There are plenty of other places to to do so, right? Yeah, exactly. On, on the topic of the the grass fed, so this is a the thing that a thing that I've been a little bit confused by in the past. So, grass fed and grass finished. What is what is the different? Like, what does that mean? The finished part? Because I've seen you know grass fed and potato finished, grass fed and corn finished. So what is what does that actually mean? So the finishing part, I guess, means that. That, that's what that animal is eating in the latter months of its life before slaughter. So all virtually all beef animals are going to be born and raised for a while on, on a farm, you know, drinking its, mom, its mother's milk, eating grass, all that stuff, until a certain point where most of them go to a feedlot to get fed grain or, or whatever. Um, so that's what is traditionally done. That's what is that's how the beef in the grocery store is, is raised. Uh, if it's potato finished, for example, that's just the farmer probably has either they have a source of potatoes or there's someone close to them that has a source of potatoes. So the, car, the, the cow is basically getting its energy from potatoes versus grain. Right. Uh, the grass fed, like we call our beef grass fed and finished. Uh, you could call it grass fed. 
uh, because we want to make sure we're dif differentiating between uh, something that is simply grass-fed and something is grass-fed and finished. By saying grass-fed and finished, it means it's only being fed grass, uh, not anything else in between. Uh, technically, you could call McDonald's beef grass-fed because it did eat grass. It, it ate grass for uh, some portion of its life. Right. Um, and so you need to be careful with just like, there. and again, there is a premium to be had for grass-fed beef. Uh, and so... And because there's no regulation saying it must this or that or whatever, um, some people take advantage of that. So that's why we say our beef is grass-fed and finished, just so there's no question about it. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And I guess I guess it doesn't also mean that the grass that the that the cow ate was also you know organic and free of free of pesticides and whatever, because that would also if you're spraying the grass with all kinds of stuff, yes, the the cow is grass-fed and finished, but what kind of grass, right? No, that's that's an important point, and that's that's something that uh, again get to know your farmer and ask them those questions. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the biggest part of this. So when the pandemic did start, like what what happened? Was it very quick where people started reaching out to you, or like how did people start reaching out to you? What happened there? So maybe about a month or two before March 2020, we had set up our, our website where you could order online is very, very easy. Before that, it was just, we had our price list online. People could email me and it was, it was a lot of work. Um, <laughs> so luck, like the timing was great so that people could just order online and we, I'd get an email on my phone saying, you have an order, you have an order. <clears throat> but that, that initial shock, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like it was, we, we grew in that year 500%. Like, and we were, we were a small company. We weren't, it is not hobbies the wrong word. We were growing a business, but we were still like we had full time jobs and whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, we we grew significantly in that year. And I remember getting phone calls that first day, like like people saying, "There's no meat in the grocery store. Can mm -hmm. you do you have this and this?" And yeah, and some of those customers after the initial shock just went back to the grocery store, but a lot of them stayed. Um, and uh, and yeah. And we're starting, we're kind of starting to see the same thing again. We're more prepared for it right now. Um, but uh, we are starting to see a, a influx of new customers coming on board uh, because I think they're seeing stuff in the grocery store online or whatever, but potential issues with the food system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To totally. And I, I distinctly recall that myself going in the grocery store that week after that first week and seeing, uh, like no meat and, and whatever was left, there were signs that said, you know, only one, like one meat purchase, whatever, whatever it was, one meat item per customer. But, and the funny thing is, and, and, and I'll take this knock, you know, this is on me, not on Mike, but like all the, all the meat alternatives, the beyond meat and all those <laughs> vegan meat products were, were fully stocked. Whereas the real stuff was, <laughs> was totally empty. So that was, that was funny to see. Um, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense where, where people were, you know, feeling the squeeze and had to find, had to find alternatives and, and, and rightfully so, right. I mean, this is how, this is how it should have been from the beginning anyways. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, there's positives in every, in every negative situation, right? Like there are positives coming out of this, this thing, although it's sometimes hard to find. Um, <laughs> that is, that is one of them. Wh what other qualities in the customers do you see are there a lot of people that are coming to you for like specific health purposes people that are getting on you know somewhat of a health kick and they're finding you that way is that a common thing that you see people trying to heal themselves with with cleaner meat and cleaner food 
Yeah, it's hard to really know. Like, but the people I do meet that come to the farm, and they're probably on that upper percentage of of customers that really care. Um, they are, yeah, they're concerned about their health. There are a lot of, just frankly, a lot of former vegans or vegetarians uh, that that got sick, and then they they found regenerative agriculture, and now some of them are carnivores, which is crazy. But mm-hmm. I don't mean I don't mean eating carnivores crazy. It's just going from those two extremes. Yeah. Just uh, yeah. So, but definitely more towards wanting better food, better meat. Um, understanding that it benefits them, but also understanding that it benefits the environment and, and things like that. Right. Yeah. That it is surprising the the number of people that I've seen as well that have gone from like total hardcore vegan to total hardcore carnivore, which is like the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, I think it speaks to to some of the you know the vegan diet and, and whatnot, and I don't think that the carnivore diet is necessarily the best thing for everyone, anyways. Um, or, or either, but, but I, but I get it and I understand it. And especially, you know, there's some, some figures online who are, you know, getting more popular with it and eating, you know, raw liver and raw, all kinds of animal products. And, and while it is entertaining, I'm not sure that that's the best either, but, but I'm sure you get a lot of interest from those kind of things as well. Totally. And just like, I, I, I know I could be healthier and lose some weight and stuff, but like that, but just listening to those people, meeting them, like they're having results. Like it, yeah. it's changing their lives, they say. Uh, so I, I think dismissing it is a mistake. I don't know. It's so complicated. Nutrition and health is like it's it's extremely interesting, but not as simple as we're led to believe. Yes, exactly. One one saying you know that often comes up uh, on the podcast is that you know eating a choosing a plate of healthy food versus a plate of unhealthy food is is pretty simple. Like eating healthy is fairly yeah. simple, but nutrition science, understanding the ins and outs of what's going on, that is wildly complicated and there are very few people in the world who if any who understand all of the complexities of it and so you know just doing what we think is best for us or what works for us if eating carnivore helps you and, and helps your life then by all means go ahead and do it like who who are who are we to say that you shouldn't do that yeah. um but so yeah if it helps you then great if and if it doesn't then then also okay and find find what works for you right totally with the with the raw organ meats like what is what is your take on that is that like i guess it's safe these people are not getting sick from it but like what what do you think about that uh i don't know i i don't honestly don't know enough about it to know um i think i understand that what we've been taught nutritionally like on a from a mainstream scale is completely wrong Mm -hmm. so i'm open to ideas um I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I would do it. Raw meat? Sure. I'm not, as long as I know where it's from. Raw organs? I would probably do it. I The taste would be, I'm not sure about the taste, but I, I don't know. I'm I'm not for or against it. Like, yeah. It's more an interesting thing. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the same. I mean, I'll try anything once kind of thing. I don't know that it would be something that I would adopt and do regularly. Um, I, I, again, I would have to be like very very certain of where it came from. I wouldn't yeah. just, you know, go to the grocery store and pick up a calf liver and, and eat it raw. Like that seems like a dumb idea. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, having it from, from your farm or from something else, like, yeah, I, I would, I would be interested to try it, but I don't think it's something that I would implement regularly and just, you know, for pure enjoyment as well. Like I, I don't think it's going to taste very good. So, you know, it's not going to turn me into Superman overnight. Yeah. No. It, it, and yeah. if it was, then everyone would be, do, would be doing it. So. 
Yeah, that's it. Um, another thing, kind of switching gears a little bit, that that I that I wanted to get your opinion on was the the value of hard work. So, hard physical labor, like working on a farm, like you said, it's hard work. Are there some intangible kind of lessons that you've learned from doing that? Aside from like you know physically, yes, you know it's healthy for you to move and use your body and all that kind of stuff. But do you, do you find some value in just doing hard work? Ah. Uh. I do. Like I, I grew up on a farm. I grew up like baling hay in the summer and all that stuff. Um, I'm, I don't think I'm the normal type though. Uh, I, I enjoy it. I, I, like I did a desk job for 10 years and it, yeah, I don't know. It, it was a good job, but I <laughs> did not enjoy that part of it. Uh, so I enjoy physical work. I think, I think it gives you time to think if you're working physically, like I think obviously like from a health standpoint, working physically is, is important. Um, yeah. I also think just from a societal standpoint, things are way too easy. We have way too many conveniences and like I, I use, I use them for sure. But like, I think it's not a healthy mindset or, or, or way to go about things. Always search out the easy way. I think it makes us lazy, uh, complacent, there's all, we, we don't have to worry about anything because there's always answers, right? Someone's going to give us an answer. Right. I think that's uh, a problem. So, but I'm not sure if I'm, I, I take myself as more, I'm, I'm an anomaly. I think I, I like, I like to work. I like to work. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that would certainly be, be an anomaly, but I think that what, what's important there is that you've realized that it is, that it is valuable, that it does give you time to think. It does make you feel good. It connects you to what you're doing. And you've had the other side of it as well, where you, you sat at a desk for a long period of time and you notice the difference, I'm sure, like in your own life and, and the way you, your, your body felt and the way you thought about things, right? And this, this excess level of convenience is, while it seems awesome, not always the, the best thing. The ability to just order Uber Eats and not have any understanding of where that food came from or what went into it sounds cool, but it's even cooler to like, you know, know your farmer and know, know where that actual you know, the beef in that burger came from that you're, that you're eating. Totally. And I, I do think that there are a lot of people that want to do something different and maybe get out of their desk job or, or whatever, get into farming even. Um, but I think it's, it's a hard thing to get into, um, which is unfortunate. Maybe there's other things that they can do. Um, but I, yeah, something we want to do kind of longer term is kind of facilitate people getting into, um, getting into farming if they want to. And I think given our growth, uh, I, I think we, we're going to be able to do that. And would that be something more like helping people to have gardens in the backyard and being able to at least you know, supply vegetables, let's say, for their own family? It's probably not possible for everyone to run like a large farm. That If everyone did that, I don't think there would be enough land for that. But but um or maybe there would be i don't know canada's pretty big but but would it be something more like that like home vegetables to be able to support yourself kind of thing sure i i think i think that's extremely important given what's going on uh both from like a food security standpoint a food quality standpoint and also just it, it's enjoyable so uh i think yeah um totally yeah yeah it's it's not it seems like a lot of work. My grandparents have had gardens for forever and, and our, our house here, we, we had started a garden a couple of years ago and uh, it seems like a, like, yes, it is hard work, uh, but it's good. And, and it tastes way better. If, if anyone listening has like never had a, 
a vegetable from from the garden or something like that like you you are missing and especially people who haven't traveled outside of north america if you go have a, a strawberry from anywhere in europe that's not the same strawberry that you're going to get at the grocery store here it tastes way better um and, and it's a real strawberry not you know whatever it is that we we have here sort of thing totally yeah i i lived in austria for off and on mm. for three years and the food was unbelievable the food like that was one of the biggest things the food and how healthy people were. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah. It was a completely different culture. Do, do they have vastly different uh, farming practices for, for beef and pork and, and chickens there than we do here in Europe? Uh, so I was there more than 10, well, 15 years ago now. So I wasn't really that tuned in or paying that much attention to it. Right. But it seems like there was a lot more small family farms, just looking back on it. Um, and like if you went to the grocery store, a lot of the places would say it was from this farm in this county, uh, which was interesting. Right. Rather than just like, you know, yeah. As some, some national brand type of thing. It's like, Oh, we know that that County, they have, they have good peaches over there or they have good pork over there or whatever it is. And so you kind of get that, get that connection, which, which again, it makes a whole lot of sense. Just even from a, from an economic standpoint, it seems to be just being able to be self-sustainable. The things that are happening like, you know, here in Ontario and in Canada now is like, we're, we're not so sure about that anymore. We're not exactly sure that we have the, the facilities here to, to supply everything in the same way that we've been used to doing it. I'm sure it's possible, but maybe not under the current system the way it is. I think that goes back to the talk of convenience. Like it is very convenient to be able to go to the grocery store and count on food being there. No matter what, it's going to be cheap and you can get whatever you want, when you want, whatever. And it's very convenient, but like what happens when that goes away? Like what do you, or you, you, you can't get everything. You can get maybe one or two things. So yeah, that's something I think about and talk about a lot is resilient resiliency. So having a bunch of small little farms everywhere, you're far more resilient than relying on a farm somewhere, somewhere in the world that has to be shipped in. So yeah, I think from a resiliency standpoint, uh, it's in all of our interests to have more small farms, small businesses, just bring in, bring, bring things back in smaller, more local. Uh, it might be idealistic, but yeah. Worth, worth a shot for sure. Now in a place like Ontario where, you know, it's pretty cold right now, there's a lot of snow. Uh, it's pretty hard to grow vegetables and whatnot outdoors. uh, Of course, if not impossible, um, how do we get around that issue? Eat more meat. (laughs) (laughs) uh i don't know yeah like i i'm not against like buying a orange in january like it's not but sure sure the just the mindset of like understanding how food is grown or raised uh eating more seasonally like if you if you can't have strawberries in february like it's okay like you can you can eat some squash or some beef or or whatever Uh, yeah so Look, look to what we did traditionally in these areas, why they did that, uh, and maybe think about that and make a, make a few small changes here and there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's totally totally reasonable of an answer. And again, it goes back to your convenience, right? It's like, yep, can't eat strawberries in February. Too bad. <laughs> it's okay. You're going to be fine. Exactly. This might seem like a silly question basing off that, but like there's a lot of snow on the ground. Like, do you have to remove the snow for the cows to eat or can, do they just kind of go through the snow to get to the grass? Like, how does that work mechanically? So in the, so in the winter months, basically from, it depends on the year, depending on the year, it might start early November, late, 
late November until mid-May, uh, we're not, the cows aren't grazing on grass. So there is, there is no living grass. So we feed them hay. So hay is just dried grass that we, that is harvested in the summer, basically summer. Um, yeah. And our system is we, we lay out the bales in the field in the fall in a pattern and we give the cows and we call it bale grazing. Uh, and we give cows access to a, a row of bales every two or three days. So they, they work on that. Uh, and then two or three days later, we give them access to new bales. And that way, all the organic matter from the waste hay, all the, the, the urine and feces that they produce is laid down uh, on that field and fertilizing basically the, the, crop, the hay or grass for next year. Interesting. So, so even though they're not eating directly from the ground, they are still, they're still being rotated in a way that helps to, to maintain and preserve the health of, of the land. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Oh, that, that seems like such a simple like thing. And I, I, I can't believe I didn't even think of that. I was like, well, how do they eat grass? There's no, there's no grass. That's kind of, it's kind of silly, but yeah, makes a, uh, makes a lot of sense. And then do you, do you harvest that grass like from, from your own land as well? So no, so we, we use all the, all the land that we own and rent uh, as pasture land. And then we buy hay from neighbors that we know. Right. Hmm. Interesting. The, 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 the connection between, between farms that you keep referring to, uh, it sounds amazing to me. It's like, it's, it's this huge community uh, of farmers producing all things that everyone needs. And it's kind of going back to like, you know, a barter system almost where it's like, I produce this, you produce this, we can trade these things. And we're kind of like, you know, not ridding the money, but it's like money is just a means of, of, of storing value to trade things, but it has no inherent value itself. It's only good to get another thing. But if I can trade you something that you need for something that, that I need, then that's also great. And like different farms have different models, but for example, we carry bison from a farm called uh, Black Powder Bison. They're near Alora, and they they want to sell at their farm store, and they they do they have a great little farm store there. Um, and if you're near Alora, go check it out. But uh, they they don't really want to do more than that, and so we we buy wholesale their bison, and then we make it available to our customers. Um, there's a lamb farm near Burlington that we work with. They do grass-fed and finished beef or finished lamb. Um, and they did the direct marketing thing for a while and they just, they didn't want to do it anymore. So we, we buy their lamb and we, we market it through our system. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's totally fine. I mean, a lot of professions, even within, you know, with what I do with training and whatnot, there's a lot of trainers and health practitioners of many kinds who don't want to be business people. They want to train their clients, help them out, do, do their thing. And, and they don't want to have to deal with the business. And I would imagine that's a lot for, for a lot of farmers because they want to farm the land, uh, do, you know, grow whatever they grow and do whatever they do, but they don't have the, 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 the means or the, the will to like make it a real business. And so someone has to make it a business again, because this is just how the world works. So it's awesome that you've, you know, taken on that responsibility for yourself, uh, to, to help everybody, including those other farmers, as well as, as well as all of us. Well, it's, it's good. It, like, frankly, it's good for us. It's good for them. And I think it's good for our customers. So yeah, everybody wins. It's all good. Yeah, exactly. What's, what's coming up next for, for wild meadows. What do you, what do you expect to, to do with the farm and the business over the next, let's say five years? Uh, well, I think there's going to be a growing interest in local food. I think there's going to be a growing interest in, in general health and understanding uh what what leads to what leads to health um and so i think there's going to be growing demand for what we do uh which is great um and so our growth strategy so my fiance and i bought a farm in the spring so we're going to kind of expand 
expand there. Um, one, of the, one cool thing we're working on is because we know a few people who do want to get into farming that don't have land. Land is extremely expensive. It's going to get harder and harder for people to get in, uh, which is unfortunate, but it just is what it is. Um, and so kind of partnering people who want to farm with landowners who want their farm or their land uh, farmed regeneratively and helping that whole process. Um, and then so basically facilitating that process of someone else farming someone else's land and then we provide a market for for what they produce um, and kind of growing that way. We I don't have a lot of interest in having a a lot of employees running around everywhere. I'd rather facilitate someone else's entrepreneurial spirit um, to, to do that um, and then provide the, the end market. That's kind of what we're, we're, we're looking at. And based on how I've, like what we've seen and talked to people, I think there's a lot of landowners who would want to do that. I believe there's a lot of people who would want to get into farming if there's a right opportunity. So it's basically just dependent on customers continuing to support us and and we'll see where it goes yeah that that makes a lot of sense to me it almost sounds like a little bit more of a, of a mentorship process where you can you know connect people who who have the land people who want to farm teach them how how you do things and they can you know put their own spin on it and then they can go start their farm you know wherever else it is that they start in a different part of ontario a different part of canada elsewhere in the u.s or you know wherever it is so that you know, you know, you wouldn't be able to run a farm that's like in Alberta per se. You can't be in two places at once. And, and the way that you do things, I would imagine you want to be you know, intimately connected with what's going on there, not just a, a business guy in the office making phone calls to that yeah. farm and, 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 you know, cracking the whip, making sure they're doing doing what they should be doing, because that's obviously not that's just not how things are done. Then we just get back into this whole like commercial farming issue and, you know, the cycle continues. So that that mentorship process sounds uh, sounds fantastic. And again, speaking to like the education system where, you know, we learn learn from people who do things rather than learning from from textbooks. I can I can learn I can read all day about how to how to run a farm and how to raise a raise a cow, but I would rather, you know, come spend some time with you and, and learn how to do it if that was something that I was going to do. Totally. And I was just talking to another farmer this morning about just that concept like we're the knowledge we're losing a lot of knowledge just because mm. I think the average age of farmers on the 60s like we're losing a lot of knowledge and so we need to work to to keep that knowledge and, and spread it. Um, yeah. What, what would be an example of something like that where, you know, it used to be, you know, everybody used to know this about farming or raising animals. Is there anything, you know, random kind of like facts that we, we should all know about farming or how to raise animals? Ah, I'm always amazed at some of the things people say when they come to the farm that they didn't know. Cause like I grew up here and so I, I'm, but, um, that it smells. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think. Are, are people I, really amazed that it smells? Kids are, but okay. uh, um, no, it doesn't smell. It's just, they went, anyway. Sure. Yeah. They're used to air conditioning and yeah. Yeah. yeah they're used to their comfortable, um, convenient life, but yeah. which is fine. But uh, I don't know. I, I, things that people should know. I don't know that it's, it's, it is work, but it's enjoyable. Um, animals have feelings and have personalities. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, you kind of caught me off guard with that question. Yeah, no, sorry, sorry about that. No, I just, I was just thinking, like, is there any, yeah, is there any stuff that we should know? It seems like I don't know a lot about farming. I wouldn't know the first thing about raising an animal. I know that they need to eat and they, you know, whatever. But like, I don't know how to, how to facilitate that. It seems like something that, you know, two hundred years ago, I probably would have, out of necessity, known a little bit more about how that happens and how that animal lives its life and how it, like, you know, gets to to my plate, kind of thing. Totally, and. uh and yeah, I think even even me, like I grew up on a on a small farm and, and whatever, but I'm way disconnected from, for example, what my grandfather would have known or understood or even did. So like like he would butcher his own pig and 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 things like that, and I I would have no idea where to start. It is something I want to learn, but um, but yeah, just our general connectedness to nature and farming and and whatever. I think we all have a lot to learn, and I think if we do, it'll it'll benefit society. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and I think that that is uh, something that, you know, we, we, we I'm a big proponent of just people going outside, getting in nature, like getting in touch with things and, and with animals and like understand that, hey, we're all, you know, we're all in this together thing. So, you know, it, it's a big, uh, it's a big important thing. And I think that it's, it's a nice place to, to a nice message to leave off on here. Um, so I just want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, let people know, like, where, where is your farm located? Can people come visit the farm, uh, the website and all that kind of stuff? So yeah, it's Wild Meadows Farm. Uh, it's simply wildmeadowsfarm.ca. Uh, if you're looking for us online, you're welcome to come to the farm, check it out. Uh, it's covered in snow right now. It's not that exciting, but come May, we'll have baby calves and little pigs and chickens running around. So yeah, I really enjoy showing people around. Uh, so let reach out if you do want to come out. Uh, we do deliver throughout most of Southern Ontario, uh, right to your door, if you're interested in uh, supporting us. And uh yeah, thanks for your time. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll put those in the in the show notes as well. The the links, everything that Mike just mentioned there. W- where are the limits of where you deliver to? And 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 for people who are outside of those limits, do you have like do you know people who deliver outside of those limits or, or farms closer to those areas? Uh, so we we have a pretty broad reach. Um, so we're in Gray County, which if you know where Own Sound is, that's where we are. But we deliver all the way up to like Aurelia, Bracebridge, um, all the way east to Oshawa, uh, Toronto, down to Hamilton, Niagara, Windsor, London. Um, so, and if you want to see where we are, you, there's a map on our website. Um, we, it is something I want to do to be able to ship province-wide. That's in the plans. We have all the kind of infrastructure and stuff in place, but I've held that off because we have a lot, like for, I don't want to oversell. I don't want to sell too much so that we, we don't have food for our customers. Right. So I want, I want to support the customers that have supported us. So we haven't got that far yet, but if you are looking for another regenerative farm, I do know of some that are out of our area. So reach out. I'm happy to pass that on. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I, I was impressed. I was looking at the map the, the other day that where you guys uh, delivered to, I was like, wow, that's way more than I thought. But, but again, like it's impossible to, you know, you can't just produce food for everyone at, right off the bat. So it's like, not off the bat, but you know, this soon. Um, so there has to be, you know, a limit to, to what you do as things, as things grow over time, but one step at a time. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. Is there anything else you want to leave the people with here in closing? Uh, no, just get to know your farmer. Um, we appreciate, we appreciate it very much. So, um, yeah, support your farms. Um, and, uh, the more you do that, the more resiliency we'll all have. Awesome. Thank you very much. 
uh, Mike, and thank you everybody for for listening. Wild Meadows Farms. Um, and all the contact information will be in the show notes. Make sure you check them out, uh, support them if you live here locally in Ontario and Southern Ontario. And for those of you who don't, uh, reach out to Mike and maybe he can help you find someone in your area, whether you're somewhere else in Canada or in another country or just point you in the right direction. Otherwise, um, I would appreciate if you'd leave the podcast a rating and review, share it with a friend who needs to hear it and needs to eat some better meat. That's all. Give me a follow on Instagram as well at Daniel Yours. Take care. Have a great day.